Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our story in a moment, but first, Paula and I want to thank each and every one of you from the bottom of our hearts. We have gone through many transformations during our run because of life and the pandemic, but we are humbled that through all of this, you have helped us grow year in and year out. We celebrated 1 million downloads last year after four years. However, we have surpassed 1.6 million in just under a year. Thank you. Now, let's get to our story tonight. Historical Ohio episodes are some of my favorite episodes, and we have a fantastic one about a brilliant scientist who made significant contributions to the world of chemistry and engineering. Despite his groundbreaking work that has given the world so much, his legacy is marred because of the impact of something he had developed. So, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our award-winning journalist who spent 30-plus years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Historically, what do you think has been the most single destructive organism to the planet's environment? Would you believe me if I said it was a man? Not man, as in mankind. A man. That's how a scientist once described Thomas Midgley, Jr. Midgley was also a scientist, a brilliant one. And until we knew better, he had changed the world in so many wonderful ways. Among other things, he invented the chemical composition that made it possible for the average family to have a refrigerator and air conditioning. And he discovered that an additive could be added to gasoline to end the problem of an annoying and destructive engine knock. What nobody realized for decades was that Midgley's projects were killing the world, poisoning people and destroying the protective ozone layer that shields us from the sun's most deadliest rays. And in a final wicked twist of fate, his final invention killed him. This is the sad and unfortunate story of the brilliant and well-meaning anti-hero, Thomas Mitchley, Jr. Mitchley was born in 1889 in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, to Hattie and Thomas Mitchley, Sr., They moved to Columbus, Ohio soon after, and that's where he was raised. He was demonstrably inventive at a young age. He pitched for a high school baseball team and learned that by rubbing a ball with slippery elm tree juice instead of spit, he could pitch reliable curves. Even some professional pitchers adopted his trick. Invention was in his DNA. His mother was the daughter of the man who invented the inserted tooth circular and band saws. Thomas Sr., his father, managed a bicycle factory, owned an automobile tire company, and held some tire patents. To no one's surprise, Midgley enrolled at Cornell University to pursue a mechanical engineering degree. But to be honest, he wasn't particularly memorable. 
He did not join a fraternity, a society, or a club. He received no honors. A professor, Barnard, would later say, Midgley almost, quote, busted out because of poor attendance and his determination to focus on personal projects to the exclusion of school-required subjects. Still, a few professors appreciated his ability, and he was allowed to graduate in 1911. Thomas did not stick around for commencement exercises. He was in a hurry to marry his sweetheart, and he needed a job. He and Carrie Reynolds of Delaware, Ohio, exchanged vows and immediately moved to Dayton, where Thomas had a job lined up. Dayton was the Silicon Valley of the early 1900s. The town was famous for its Wright brothers and their invention of the plane, but that was just the start of it. Several important companies had their research departments in the city. At one point, Dayton boasted the highest ratio of patents per resident than any city in America. Thomas was snapped up by the National Cash Register Company, which had an inventions department and was constantly working on improving calculators. You know, they have huge crossover benefits to all sorts of things, since the whole point was to do math and do it fast. Then Charles Franklin Kettering, the inventor of the electric automobile starter, hired Mitchley in 1916 as a researcher for his new company, Dayton Engineering Laboratories Company, or Delco. Kettering knew what a catch he made. He once said, The greatest discovery I ever made was Tom Midgley. At Delco, Midgley's first mission was to find a way to stop car engines from knocking. Knocking is a noise that occurs when fuel burns unevenly and interrupts the flow of the engine's rotations. Knocking isn't just an annoyance, it can damage vehicles. Performance was a real issue. Midgley took on the challenge, and he delivered. It took almost five years, but when he revealed the solution, he became an instant celebrity in the industry. What he'd invented was leaded gasoline. Midgley discovered that it was the fuel, not the engine, that caused the knock. And it went away if he added tetraethyl lead to the fuel, in order to raise the octane level and make the engine run more smoothly. The company named the substance ethyl, avoiding all mention of lead, and rolled it out in February of 1923. The first gallon was sold at Refiner's Oil Company Station at Monument and Main Street in Dayton. Midgley couldn't be present when that first gallon was pumped. He was in Miami, Florida, recovering from lead poisoning. Midgley received acclaim for his discovery, including the 1923 Nichols Medal from the American Chemical Society. It was just the first of many major awards he would earn in his career. As soon as Midgley recovered from his bout with lead poisoning, he was called to bat again. Kettering, now on the board of General Motors, gave him a new mission. GM's Frigidaire Corp. 
had a problem. Gases being used in refrigerators at that time were poisonous and highly flammable. The number of people killed from leaking gas was on the rise, so much so that people didn't want to move to the new refrigerators. They wanted to stick to their safe, old-fashioned ice boxes. So Midgley put that high-powered brain to work at his Ludlow Street Laboratory in downtown Dayton. And wouldn't you know it, it only took him three days to figure it out. An assistant who worked with Midgley, Robert Hen, described what it was like to work with him. He said, quote, He could generate ten ideas a minute. Nine of the ten would probably be screwy, but the tenth would be a Lulu. Well, this new Lulu was called CFC, a mixture of three chemicals, chlorine, fluorine, and carbon. Combined, they created a new supergas that was non-toxic, non-flammable, and really versatile. It was hailed a miracle. It could be used in everything from industrial solvents to being the gas that allowed spray cans to work. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. It took another two years to run CFC through its paces, and when it was finally revealed at an Atlanta meeting of the American Chemical Society, it was a dramatic moment. Midgley lit a candle and set it before the audience. Then he poured liquid CFC into a glass dish. As soon as that liquid reached room temperature, the liquid began to boil. Midgley lowered his face over the dish, inhaled the fumes, then exhaled the gas to smother the flame. See, safe as can be. General Motors and DuPont formed a joint company to manufacture and market the new chemical, Freon. And Frigidaire launched a $7 million advertising campaign to promote it. Again, Midgley had revolutionized 20th century life. Its benefits were so far-reaching. The sweltering states in the Sun Belt, they could now compete for business. They could attract people by offering air conditioning at work and at home. Do you think Miami and Houston would have high-rises today if there was no air conditioning? It enabled the refrigeration of food for shipping around the world, benefiting developing countries. It reduced food poisoning and preserved vaccinations. Despite his successes, Midgley wanted to pick his own future projects. 
He stopped working for General Motors and financed his own research laboratory at The Ohio State University. All the while, people kept chugging along in their leaded gas cars and spraying CFCs into the air. It was a good 50 years or so before anyone realized that what Midgley had made were ticking time bombs with planetary consequences, and time was running out. If you're as old as me, you might remember the news stories from back in the 70s and 80s as the world began to wake up to the ramifications of exactly what we'd been doing to ourselves the past half century. In my limited worldview as a teenager and young adult, I remember worrying about what I was going to do with my hair when they banned aerosol cans like hairspray. And I remember fretting when my car's air conditioner stopped working and the mechanic told me he couldn't get the coolant right then because Freon had become a four-letter word. Let's start with the subject of leaded gas. Now, exposure to lead not only affects the nervous, cardiovascular, and immune systems, but it can also cause major behavioral issues and learning problems in young children. Every time we left our home or drove down our neighborhood streets, we were literally pumping this out into the air. And it wasn't even a secret back then. When Midgley got sick with lead poisoning in 1923, several others at the Dayton plant had also gotten sick and two men had died from it. Over the course of the next year, eight more people died at DuPont's plant in New Jersey. And when DuPont opened a new chemical plant to produce the product, within two months of opening, five more people were dead. But as was the case with just about everything before the EPA was created, the dark side was ignored for progress and profit. The Ethyl Corporation controlled the worldwide market for tetraethyl lead additive. They spent $2 million in annual advertising to associate the gas with baseball, football, and the American way of life. And since the company funded almost all the research about the additive's effect on human health, they could choose to focus on safety in the factory workplace and spare everyone the revelations about the health of the general population. Leaded gas remained the primary fuel in America until 1975. You had to know it was bad because even now, in 2023, when you go to buy gas, it specifies unleaded so you don't forget. You can still buy leaded gas for a few things like off-road vehicles and race cars and some farm equipment. Disturbingly, The reason leaded gas isn't used for the common car anymore doesn't even have to do with the fact that it was making people sick, if not outright killing them. When automakers had to start using catalytic converters because of stricter emissions regulations in 1970, 
It turned out leaded gas was damaging those devices. Car makers only transitioned to unleaded gas for a performance reason. No one was fooled about the real damage being done, though. In 2010, Time magazine called leaded gas one of the 50 worst inventions of all time. Midgley made that Times list twice. His CFC was also on it. CFC, the delightful three-chemical coolant that gave us air conditioning and refrigerators, as it turns out, was eating the planet's atmosphere. Scientists discovered there was a hole in the ozone layer above Antarctica. The ozone is the layer that protects the Earth from ultraviolet rays that would just cook us alive. We didn't know this at first because it was all happening up there, and yeah, frankly, it took a while to notice. When CFC is released into the air, it can drift for decades, but will eventually float up into the upper atmosphere. And once there, the ultraviolet rays will break it up into its three primary chemicals and release the one chemical that is the monster. Chlorine eats ozone the way Pac-Man gobbles up snack pellets. Researchers in 1974 calculated that one chlorine molecule can destroy 100,000 ozone molecules. The ozone didn't stand a chance. In 1985, the horrifying reality was revealed when they found that hole at the top of the planet that wasn't supposed to be there. A depleted ozone was destroying crops, killing plankton in the ocean. It was even tied to higher skin cancer rates and eye damage. Governments around the world banned the chemical. Change wasn't cheap. So many industries and businesses and homes were dependent on CFC products. Alternative cooling systems and propellants had to be found. And then companies had to reconfigure their plants for the new product. Not surprisingly, consumers would have to bear the cost. Fortunately for Midgley, he didn't live to see what his revolutions had wrought. He contracted polio in 1940 at the age of 51 and died four years later. He was an inventor to the very end. Polio had left him severely disabled. So at his home in Worthington, Ohio, Midgley rigged up a harness that could swing him from his bed to his wheelchair. One day he was discovered dead, tangled up in his device and strangled. His final invention had killed him. Here's a bit of a mystery I couldn't explain. His death was portrayed as accidental, but privately it was declared a suicide. It was environmental historian J.R. McNeil who summed up Midgley's life, saying he, and here's a quote, 
had more adverse impact on the atmosphere than any other single organism in Earth's history. And it has been estimated that between leaded gas and CFCs, Midgley's inventions may have contributed to the deaths of up to 100 million people. You know, I was curious about how the ozone is doing today, and here's what I found. A couple of years ago, researchers said that while the ozone layer has shown signs of recovery, it likely won't be until the 2060s or 70s that the ozone-depleting substance will completely disappear from the atmosphere. Now, I might be dead by then, but hey, it's nice to know that what happened may not be irreparable. It would be sure nice to leave this planet in a better condition for all of our kids. Right? That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. We are also proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you would like to hear more podcasts like ours, check out killerpodcasts.com. Be sure to tune in Wednesday for our 10-minute mysteries, and we will see you next week for another full episode. Hey Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.